a big part of why I'm even building this, I would say the, the, the two big reasons are like I have this love for the game of building businesses and learning and building a physical product has truly been like a PhD in supply chain logistics and physical product, which I had never had experience with. So that's the first piece. The second piece is kind of part of my goal in building businesses is to teach at scale. So if I can basically capture as much content from any business I build and distilled into the world, to me, that is the best version of teaching entrepreneurship, far better than teaching it in the classroom. And so to me, this is also like talking about what I'm going through with the plunge is just acting as basically a syllabus for people who want to learn how to build a physical product. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the LaunchBoom podcast. LaunchBoom is an organization that's helped founders test and launch their products, raising over $100 million on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. In this podcast, we explore a variety of subjects in addition to crowdfunding, including habits, mental models, and how to squeeze the most out of life. First, let me introduce you to Kevin Liang, our host and LaunchBoom's very own product launch director. Kevin is a serial inventor and the creator of seven Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns, raising over $1.8 million in funding. Kevin is also a biohacker, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, and an Airbnb host based out of San Francisco, California. Without further ado, here's Kevin. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today we have Alex Lieberman. He is the co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew, a nine-figure media property with over 4.5 million subscribers. It sold to Business Insider, and uh, Alex is also a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient. He's been featured on publications such as Entrepreneur.com, The Information, and one of my favorite podcasts, How I Built This. He's also a startup investor, the host of the Crazy Ones podcast, and 60 Second Startup. Alex is beginning his foray into physical products and preparing for his first physical product launch with a version of the backyard axe throwing called The Plunge. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Pumped to do this. Same here. Really, really good to have you. Um, so tell me more about what The Plunge is and how you came up with the idea for the product. Yeah, so I mean, it's... <clears throat> the most like ridiculous story, but the long story short is I wanted to start exploring something else outside of morning brew, because obviously like I love the brew. It has a special place in my heart, but I've realized that I love building. Um, and I love the early stages of business. And I think it comes from like my whole life. When I think back on it, I loved like building random things. So like when I was in kindergarten, I took a, pen and a highlighter. I cut them in half. I taped them together. And I thought I was a genius for having one tool that you could both write something in a notebook and then highlight it in the same one fell swoop. And then, you know, even today, like I, I've told you this, um, you know, I'm obsessed with building Legos. Like yesterday I finished a globe. I'm like looking for the next one already. So I love building. And I would say generally the get your hands dirty style of building happens in the early days of businesses. And so as I was thinking about kind of what I wanted to build next, something that I've really wanted to explore for a while actually was building a creator uh, business or like a co-found uh, co a business with a creator. And the reason I give that context is one of the first creators 
on the internet, internet that I was looking at potentially launching a business with was Dude Perfect. So Dude Perfect is like the group of friends that have been creating on YouTube for the last 15 years. They do trick shots, like basketball trick shots, et cetera. They have 58 million subscribers. And so as I was exploring, like what would be an interesting product to launch with them, I was scrolling through their YouTube videos and like their fifth most viewed YouTube video ever is plunger trick shots. And it's just a video of them, these guys getting uh, plungers from like Home Depot or Lowe's and at their facility, wherever it is, them just like hoisting and throwing these things around uh, onto like hockey board style plexiglass and like random stuff like refrigerators in their break room. And I was like, this is crazy. One, it's crazy like how many views this got. Two, the way they're throwing these plungers is like an ax. And so then that that's where I was like, oh, wow. Ax throwing is going through a moment right now. And I don't know that it'll always be there. Just like, uh, I don't know if like the whole pickleball thing is going to accelerate nearly as much as it's accelerating right now. I mean, you just can't grow 800% year over year for many years. But right. I was like, okay, that's an interesting tailwind that exists now. Um, and the thought I had at the time was like, if I could build kind of like this alternative to ax throwing that's safe for the home and I build the product, it could integrate incredibly well with Dude Perfect's content because I could imagine them doing other plunger trick shot videos in the future and the board, the game, could just be used in the video as like a native form of advertising. So after I watched this video, I literally left my apartment, went in my car, drove to Home Depot, went to Home Depot, went to the plunger section, and I just started taking plungers and throwing them around Home Depot. And like a video I still have like favorite on my phone was finding the plunger that was the one that worked to like stick incredibly well. And it's just me taking the plungers and throwing them straight at like the concrete ground and it sticks perfectly. <laughs> and so then that was the beginning of the journey. And I would say, you know, my first step was starting to work with a product designer to make what I wanted to be backyard axe throwing. Um, and so the game is called The Plunge. The idea is it's axe throwing minus the hospital visit. You can play it anywhere, the beach, your backyard, tailgates. Uh, it's great for tailgates because you only throw with one hand, so you can have the other hand for a beer. And it's first to 15 points, although I will say this whole game has been built in public, like in front of my audience. And so I'm still leaving it open to seeing if anyone has better rules for when we end up launching the game. And uh, yeah, my, you know, my goal is to start with this one anchor product, but I think there's a lot of opportunity in the vertical that I would, that I would call games that suck, which is suction-based games. So that's the, uh, the story. I love it. It's games that suck. <laughs> uh, and, and I also love the immediacy that you got in your car right away and, and uh, went into Home Depot to validate the product idea. Have you always done that? Like, like tell me a little bit more about uh, how you implement that in different ways in different things that you've built. I would say it's funny. Um, on my other podcast, the crazy ones, the, the most recent episode we recorded, uh, was about well, we talked about two things. One is we talked about, uh, Rihanna's, uh, business empire, because we're recording this right now, a few days after the Super Bowl, and her story as a businesswoman is incredible. So we broke that down. The other topic we covered was how do you test and validate ideas super quickly and super low cost? And I think the short answer to it is when you have an idea, find like the 
the the minimum of the MVP that can exist to give you a high fidelity answer of is there something there? And one thing that my co-host Jesse was saying is he sees a lot of people that really overthink something and they put way too much time and effort into validating an idea. And then the other side of the spectrum or of the barbell where people put no time and they put a lot of, they just go straight to the product, start charging and they haven't validated the idea at all. And so I actually went through the exercise with Jesse of saying, what I'm doing for the plunge right now is actually, is I asked myself the question, is that actually the fastest, quickest, cheapest way that I could validate this product? And it's a fun exercise because it pushes you to really think with the constraint of how do you do something as cheaply and quickly, but high quality as like a scientific test as possible. And what I came to the conclusion of is actually, I think I'm doing this pretty lean right now. Um, like I'm very transparent with the numbers, like after I went and immediately tested the product in Home Depot. And by the way, that's my thing with everything. When I have an idea, I just get obsessed with it. And like, I won't be able to do anything else until I get an answer to it. And I also think, side note, like the idea of using a product that already exists in the world in a totally different uh, form from how it was intended to be used is just like a really fun thing. Like the idea of using a toilet plunger that's been used to unclog toilets for the last hundreds of years and using it as a throwing tool is just like, there's a ridiculousness to it. And like, I was even thinking this morning, like we should have a mascot for this game, like a character who's a Viking and the Viking is a cartoon character. Instead of holding an ax, like he's holding a plunger. And if the game blows up, like we could make amazing stories or like cartoon videos around this Viking who like, he's the only Viking in his village that has a plunger cause he's a lover and not a fighter. Like there's a whole thing. But anyway, going back to testing, I basically said to myself, I've done this pretty lean where up to this point, I've spent $20,000 total on the game development of the game. Uh, you know, uh, doing things to get ready for Kickstarter, all the things that go into starting a business, like trademarking, registering the LLC, all that. But I actually think I potentially could have in um, an alternate universe tested this game probably with only $5,000 of investment, minimum, uh, like maximum. So instead of going out to Brooklyn, when I got excited about this game, building the whole product with a product designer, getting to it to a place where like, I actually have the game by my side right now. And it's like, it's like very close to being done for the market there. I was thinking what I could have done is actually just thrown up a landing page immediately, got a designer from Fiverr to make a 3d rendering of the game, use all of the copy, uh, and like, even like in working with launch boom, there's a world in which I could have just used a 3d rendering of the game. If it was good enough versus the actual physical game that I've spent $12,000 to develop. There's another world where I could have just gone to home Depot myself, build the most crude version of the game using a few pieces of plywood and a face, take it to a park for four weekends straight in New York city, and just see if people come up, collect emails with a clipboard and just see the experience that people have. And the tough part of testing is like, there are so many false positives and false negatives, but I do think if you really force yourself, you can test even something like this with a physical product incredibly cheaply. Definitely hear that. I mean, one of our clients, uh, probably one of the more sophisticated clients that I've ever worked with before they even built a prototype, they just hired a rendering artist for a few hundred bucks and did exactly what you described, you know, put up the page, see if people are willing to opt in, give them their email addresses and, and that dollar reservation that yeah. you're well aware of at this point. 
My my by the way, my just like a a few fun startups, like big startups that have done this is are are you familiar with uh, the DoorDash story? Like how Tony Zhu yeah. started DoorDash? Like crazy, mm-hmm. right? So I think it was originally called. But like, why don't you tell it for the audience? Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I what was the delivery service originally called? It was like Stanford uh, Food Delivery or something like that. And right. all he would do is take the physical menus of restaurants, turn them into a PDF, and on that PDF would be um, if you want delivery for X dollars call this number. And that phone number was Tony Zoo's. And so although it happened is he wanted to test, are people willing to pay X fee to have their food delivered to them? And every call, when people called, would call Tony. Tony would literally just go place the order, pick it up from the restaurant and deliver it. And like that was how he got validation for people are willing to pay for the convenience of having their food delivered to them by Tony. I love that so much. And this is like way before, you know, any developer was even spoken with, right? Or, or talked to, or any uh, a line of code was written. Yeah, and um, I think to that point, uh, also, it's amazing with like, you know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, crowdfunding tools are just like one sliver of, I would say, the platforms that exist on the internet today to more easily test the fidelity of ideas you have before you actually put investment into it. And actually, a, a, a space that I love seeing this done, we also talked about it on our podcast, is in the world of books with authors. But I think there's such a great lesson to learn from what they've done. So people look at like the Malcolm Gladwells of the world or the Mark Mansons of the world, and they're like, these guys, like, they hit lightning in a bottle. They wrote these books that have sold millions of copies. How did they do it? Mark Manson, subtle art of not giving a fuck, he was approached by a publisher who said, hey, Mark, I think you should write a book because that's what like people are doing right now. Mark was like, okay, but I have no idea what the hell I want to write about. And the publisher was like, well, just go to your website, this blog you've been writing for the longest time and just see what is your best performing article ever. Of course, the article was called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. So literally the name of the book was the name of the article and it was his top performer. Same exact story for Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote an article for New Yorker called Tipping Point it crushed it. And so Tipping Point, his best-selling book, was just a derivative of that article. And so I think that actually speaks to, other than crowdfunding platforms, just content platforms are the best place to test ideas. Like I'm always thinking through, how does a tweet turn into a tweet thread, turn into an email list or a blog, turns into like a product? And so just one example for you is, uh, yesterday or two days ago, I tweeted out, basically something along the line saying, I haven't started a business in the last eight years. And so I'm like reorienting myself to all of the different startup tools that you need to start a company. Here is my current stack. And I just listed out the 10 tools I'm using to build the plunge. So it's like what I'm using for banking, for uh, opening up my LLC, for all of these different things. And it blew up. It, it, I think it has like 1.3 million uh, views in the last two days. And I saw that, I was like, wow, did I just like accidentally test an idea? And the idea to me is, is there a great ratings and review site for startup software? So if you're a startup founder and you wanna know what is the best HR platform, what is the best uh, trademark attorney to go to? What is the trusted source that founders go to? Like, did I just test that idea? How can I take this tweet and go one step further? So now what I'm thinking about doing is writing a tweet thread around a specific type of startup software. Let's just say like um, forming an LLC, how to start your business. Right. 
and I rate and review all the software that's out there with the pros and cons and see how people react to that. And that's like test two for like, are people really into this idea? That's so good. I mean, it's so much uh, of the concepts that's covered in a book that I highly recommend to people, by the way, called The Lean Startup Method by Eric yep. Reitz. Um, so you do a lot of building in public, right, Alex? But a lot of product creators and founders, they get a little bit fearful of that for various reasons, right? They don't want people to steal their ideas. They don't want competitors to know the tactics and tools you're using, but you seem to have a totally different approach to that and different philosophy. How do you think about that? And what is your advice? I guess the way that I think about it is, first of all, I believe that the benefits of publicly building your business far outweigh the trade-offs. Um, one of the trade-offs being that you mentioned, people are worried about having their ideas stolen. There's a few, there's a few thoughts I have on having your idea stolen. The first is most ideas are not truly original. So the odds that your the idea you have is truly the first time any human being has ever thought of that idea is actually extremely low. Like every massive business you could name, uh, for, you know, look at the top 10 largest technology companies in the world. Vast majority of them were not the first versions of those ideas, right? Like uh, Facebook, Netflix, Spotify, there were all, there were attempts at all of these platforms prior to them being created. So that's the first idea is like, people aren't as original as they think they are. I would say the second is you realize when you think, okay, someone's going to steal my idea. You're basically saying someone has all this time in their life to, to see your idea, drop everything they're doing, all of their work and, and whatever it is and say, no, I'm going all in on this idea that I just found from someone on the internet. Like it just feels improbable to me. And then the third piece of this is I believe that if, if you build anything, it's kind of like binary. If you build something that doesn't succeed, people won't copy the idea, likely. Um, if you build something that does succeed, you will 100% be copied, right? So it's like my view, my view with the plunge is it will 1000% be copied if there's any level of success, which to me actually means, especially in the world of building a backyard game, and it's different for different physical products, but I would say directionally speaking in the physical product world today, so many things are commoditized. Like you can literally go on, I forgot what the website is where you can see the supply chain of every company and see all of their manufacturers. Like it is becoming more and more commoditized than ever before, which tells me that what really matters is brand marketing and community. And so if what matters is brand marketing and community, I want to give myself as much of an advantage as early as possible to have a great brand and build a great community. I'm not sure how to do that if I don't build this game in public for people. So good and so true. I mean, these are some of the, a lot of the fears that um, founders that I speak with on an everyday basis uh, run into. And uh, we talk we, and discuss about a lot of the topics that you just shared as well. By the way, I just want to for a second talk about some of the benefits because yeah. like where this game is today, it wouldn't be where it is. Or like, like there would be, no, there, there are, everything that's happened with this game is a function of building in public. And I, I do want to acknowledge that having my built-in audience, so like I have a relatively large audience, that has provided an absolute advantage that someone who's building for the first time and building in public for the first time won't have. But to me, if you don't have the mentality of building in public, then you'll never have an audience. Like if I had this mentality, I wouldn't have started building an audience 
four years ago when I had no followers on Twitter. So I'm, I'm just going to rattle off some things. Like I found a potential operator for this business, um, because I was building it in public. I found product design changes because of building in public, because for example, the first time I went to play this game at the beach, it didn't work. And I had no idea what it was. I literally posted a video of it not working. And I got all of this feedback from people on what it could be. In addition, I went on Quora, asked questions of like, to any people who are trained physicists out there, let me know what the issue with this game could be. Got tons of answers. Um, like, have been building up the email list in public. Uh, I got connected to, because it's a backyard game where you throw a plunger, there's this guy named Chris Ivan, who's known as the Plunger Poppy. He has 1.5 million followers on TikTok, and his niche is throwing plungers at signs. And I only got connected to him because I was building this in public. Uh, found my trademark lawyer, because that lawyer saw me messaging about this in public. The, the software I'm using to start my LLC was recommended to me from talking about the game in public. So every decision I've made has been through the filter of someone seeing this in public being like, this is absurd. I have something to say or help with. And so, um, yeah. And, and I'll say there's all, so it's selfishly beneficial to me. And then I would say also selflessly, a big part of why I'm even building this, I would say the, the, the two big reasons are, like I have this love for the game of building businesses and learning and building a physical product has truly been like a PhD in supply chain logistics and physical product, which I never had experience with. So that's the first piece. The second piece is kind of part of my goal in building businesses is to teach at scale. So if I can basically capture as much content from any business I build and distilled into the world, to me, that is the best version of teaching entrepreneurship, far better than teaching it in the classroom. And so to me, this is also like talking about what I'm going through with the plunge is just acting as basically a syllabus for people who want to learn how to build a physical product. That's so good, Alex. And you know, one of the questions that uh, I was going to ask you is like, you've been very successful and, and what's the purpose of doing all of this, right? And I think you kind of, uh, answer that, but like, how do you want to be remembered? You know, when all this is gone and this is behind us, right? Like, can you just elaborate a little bit more on what is your purpose here? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, what I'll first say is like, I think this, if we're talking about this in the context of like the plunge and like business and entrepreneurship, it matters a lot to me. It matters a lot less to me than family, than the people that matter in my life, than you know, my children in the future, like, like that's the shit that actually matters. This is like, not that it doesn't matter, but I, I think it's important to create like this kind of hierarchy of how I think about purpose. So to me, you know, my purpose is to, to be remembered by the people that matter most to me, which is like 10 people in life. After that, I think it's how can I inspire and teach people by living according to my values. And to me, my, what my values are is like, uh, my love for learning and curiosity, my love or my desire to build great relationships and uh, show authentic care for other people. Um, in a lot of ways, to be honest, my values are being like a child again. Like I, I say this all the time, it's so cliche, but it's like, I just think about, 
you know, when we live in, in Hoboken and, and there's so many, uh, young families here. And when I see kids in our building, it's like, they, they've got what, it, everything I want, right. It's like, they have this wonder and curiosity about the world. They don't have any sort of judgment. Um, they live in the present. They're not worried about what's happening. You know, they're not worried about what's going to happen at preschool to them tomorrow. They're just like thinking about preschool right now. Right. So when I think about it, it's like, okay, being present, having wonder and curiosity, treating people well and not being judgmental. It's like, I just want to be a kid. I just want to Benjamin button myself with, with any decision I make in my life. That's so awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I heard a, a mentor tell, say this one time, which is like, we grow up learning to take the kid out of ourselves. And then once we get to a certain age, maybe it's our mid twenties or thirties or whenever adults define successes and we reach that point, then we work back to being a kid again. Part of the reason I picked the plunge and like a backyard game is it for this exact reason. Like, like I am forced to be playful with this thing that I'm building. And also I think, um, a very easy to trap trap to fall into as a, let's call it second time founder is the pressure you put on yourself to build something even bigger than your first at bat. Uh, or you take yourself so seriously. You say like the, you know, I'm only going to spend my time on things that are truly like home run swings. Like it has to be a multi-billion dollar opportunity. And to be honest with you, like that's talking about like kind of an end point, like, oh, I have to build something that's multi-billion dollar. Whereas I would say like the way I try to think about it is what is something that for some period of time is going to allow me to learn, be playful and connect with really interesting people. And like, let me do that thing. If the byproduct is a multi-billion dollar company, that's great. If the byproduct is a really nice lifestyle business that brings joy to, to people and connects them and gets them off of their phone. To me, that's equally as awesome. And so actually, you know, I was just very intentional with the plunge, basically saying to myself, like this second thing that I build, I intentionally don't want to take myself too seriously with it. I don't, I intentionally don't want to pick something where I'm thinking about it in terms of like TAM market opportunity, all these things. I just want to build something that I'm going to learn a lot and it's going to be a fun journey to be on. Yeah. So Alex, that's like really different from what you typically see from multiple time founders, right? They're trying to usually beat their, or, you know, continue creating the resume or beat their last success. Like you mentioned, what was, what were some of the things along the way or mentors or experiences that sort of shaped that way of thinking for you? I would say the, the first thing is that when I think back on my experience with morning brew, I would say I was it's called 50% motivated by money, 50% motivated by <clears throat> kind of like the, the love for the game. And I was motivated by money because I lost my dad when I was uh, a week before junior year in college and he passed away suddenly. He was the, the breadwinner in our house because my mom had retired several years earlier. And so there was this feeling of kind of monetary scarcity that existed where I was like, I have to take care of the family now because there's only outflow of money from the Lieberman household. There's no inflow. And so, yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of my motivation with Morning Brew was creating a future state where I didn't have that concern. Now, the ironic part of all of this is, you know, sitting with you here today, like I shouldn't have that concern um, as a function of selling the business, right? I'm rationally and logically in a place 
where I don't have to worry about money and my family doesn't have to worry about money, yet I am as worried about money as ever was, which actually in some ways tells me like maybe some of my original story of taking care of my family, it was in some ways an excuse for like just like a deeper um, scarcity uh, mindset around money and fear of not having enough resource uh, mindset that came from way earlier in my life because it's so interesting how resource abundance hasn't changed my scarcity mindset. I'd say that's the first piece. I would say, you know, one other thing I just want to point out is like how I, the way I think about building something that just like lights me up and that I enjoy today is partially driven by the fact that I just know I'm someone who I, I can't fake getting excited by something. So like, let's just say there was some massive problem that I found in the world that I was like, that I was like, if I solve this problem, it can be a multi-billion dollar business. But like, I didn't really feel a deep affinity um, and and draw to the problem. At the end of the day, I, it wouldn't end up being a multi-billion dollar business because I just wouldn't, I know what it takes to basically just be in the trenches for, let's call it eight to 10 years minimum. And I just know if you don't care enough, you don't have that internal motivation enough. Or not, I don't want to say internal motivation because like, Money was an external motivation for me, but I don't have that anymore. So it means it has to be an internal motivation. If I don't have that internal motivation enough, I know I just won't even go the distance of building that potentially huge thing for many years. So I might as well spend time on things that I know that the internal motivation, that internal fire that's driven by learning, curiosity, love for building relationships, like that isn't going to go out anytime soon. Was that just inherence from you thinking through like what you really wanted? Did someone like work with you to like really dive deep into like, hey, this is, you know, ask you a yeah. bunch of questions to help you decide this is your North Star? What does that what does that process look like for you, Alex? Yeah, I would say for me, it was like, I mean, after stepping out of the CEO role for Morning Brew, I, I spent a lot of time talking to professionals. So I spend a lot of time talking to my therapist. I spent a lot of time talking to my executive coach. I spent a lot of time like reading. I feel like I did just like such a cliche founder thing of like, you know, reading books on stoicism and the meaning of life and all these things. But, but I think w the, the reason why I did that is I felt incredibly lost after my first business, after stepping out of my role. I, you know, the best analogy I have is it feels like what, what I felt like stepping out of the CEO role for Morning Brew, I could imagine being the same feeling for like an athlete who has played a professional sport for their career and they retire and they're like, shit, I've been doing this for like the last three decades. What do, like, who am I now? Like, right, there's, a, for me, there was a lot of identity questions of who is Alex out of Morning Brew? What is my value? What do I bring to the world? What are my strengths? Like, I, I don't even know what I'm good at. And I would say like, Probably the number one thing for me that drove me to focus on things that like truly lit me up is two things happens. Two things happen. One is I think I let go of the person that I thought I was supposed to be as a founder, right? So like the vision I had of what is a successful entrepreneur looks like, it's mm -hmm. someone who it has an idea to solve a massive problem. They first create a solution for the idea. They get it to product market fit. They start hiring people. They're then a company builder. Then they end up uh, taking the business public and they sail off into the sunset. And they do this over 20 to 30 years, right? Because those are the people that I would say generally are cheerleaded, uh, cheer-led uh, in, in the public. 
but like that is the vast minority of founders, right? Like the, the Elon Musk of the world, yeah. the Bezos is the world, the Gates is the world. That's the vast minority of founders. So I think at some point I let go of that idea and I started grabbing onto like, what are the things that I actually know to be true about what does excite me? And you know, that drew me way more towards, I have a lot of ideas. I think I want to build a lot of projects over the course of my life. Um, I'm super creative and I love early stage. Like, let me start focusing on things in this kind of universe. And that's why I started exploring a lot of things like the venture studio model, what like Atomic has done and Kevin Ryan has done and Idea Lab has done. And I started feeling a lot more energy around it. And I think the second thing that happened is those people who used to be kind of heroes to me in the world of startups, they started not being kind of heroes to me. And what I mean by that is like, I idolize them for everything. And I start to think like, Outside of entrepreneurship, I don't know that I would actually idolize these people. Like, yeah. you know, the divorce rate is pretty high. Like, I, you know, uh, I don't know if they're truly happy and they've truly found their purpose. I don't know that they're ever going to get to a point in their life where they feel like they have enough or they've achieved enough. And I really hope that in my life I get to a point where I do feel like I have enough and I've achieved enough. And so I think also what happened was like my role models changed um, or my sense of who my role model should be changed. And so then it kind of reoriented like, okay, wow, my role models look different now. So what used to be my North Star, which was driven by this old definition of role models in the world, I need to rethink what that North Star looks like. And so I think those were kind of two very big factors in why I started to interact in the way that I am now. So you mentioned some fears that you had and and you labeled them as like really not logical fears um, and maybe even uh, stress and anxiety that aren't logical, not just about money, but like other uh, other parts of your life as well. Right. Whether it is, you know, truly logical or illogical. What are some of the things that you do that help you handle those things on a and to continue making you feel less uncomfortable getting out of your comfort zone? Yeah, I would say there's um, what I think of as like painkiller and vitamins. So vitamins are the things that I do on a daily basis to what I would call quiet the anxious mind. And mm. so those are like the super boring things. It's like I, you know, one of the things actually, it's funny in this money scarcity mindset that I drew a hard line in the sand and was like, I'm going to start spending money on this is anything related to my health, I will spend money on. Like before, uh, let's call it like six months ago, I still wouldn't spend on things that like another human being would so obviously spend on, like a gym membership. Like I would rather like at home design an at-home workout because I'm saving money on it. And so wow. for, for me, I'd say some of like the vitamin type activities I do, there's like, I think of one of them as like the trifecta, which is uh, sleep, exercise, and diet. So I generally find that if I am sleeping on average seven to eight hours a night, if I am maintaining a moderated diet, and if I am exercising, for me, it's like, you know, six days a week, the the activeness of the anxious voice stays around like a two out of 10 instead of a five to six out of 10. And so like one of the things I pay for now, like I pay for a virtual gym membership, uh, an app called future that I have a trainer who trains me, uh, and programs workouts throughout the week. I have a nutritionist now, so I'm logging my food and like, it has actually been 
truly transformational to realize the impact that diet has had on everything in my life, on my ability to build other habits, on my ability to maintain energy throughout the day, on my clarity of thinking, et cetera. Like I always thought it was bullshit and now I don't. Um, <laughs> so I'd say those are three things. Uh, the, the other things are, this one sounds like the corniest, but like gratitude. And like, I just have found really like, Gratitude is the bedrock for living like a fulfilled life because to me, um, when you feel grateful for things, it's as your brain is filled with gratitude, it's tough to also be filled with like anxieties, fears, et cetera. So it's like the smallest thing is like I'll get, I'll be grateful for after a day of work. Um, you know, my fiance and I are sitting on the couch watching you know, our new favorite show, which is, uh, the last of us. And like, we're watching that show. We're with our Bernadoodle. And like, I'll literally say to Carly, I'll be like, I just feel incredibly grateful right now. The fact that first of all, like we don't have to be working at this moment in time. We're not working crazy hours We're we're getting to watch a show together. I'm getting to look out our window and look at the New York city skyline. We have a dog who's brought like so much joy into our lives. Like we just have so much going for us. And the, the nice thing about that is like, it's like very small things that I name that are going for us, but it still feels amazing. So yeah, gratitude is something I try to actively practice. And then I would say kind of the painkillers are when I am feeling heightened, when I'm feeling most anxious, most fearful, when my OCD is ramping up, there's a few things I do. One is like, I definitely will ramp up the, the frequency by which I'm talking to a therapist, but also, you know, for me, like exposure therapy is the number one thing I do. And it, it's called ERP, um, ex, uh, exposure repo, uh, response prevention. It's like, you know, one of three, uh, let's call it like methodologies for handling OCD and all that, ba- all ex, uh, uh, exposure therapy means is just exposing yourself to the thought that's, uh, that you're fearful of. So for me, I'll just give you an example, something that I was obsessed about for, I don't know, a few months. And honestly, I still have obsessions around this is health related things because I obsess around things that um, you can't have an objective answer to, um, but they're very important to your life, right? So like after my dad passed away, I was obsessed with worrying about if I work out too hard, I'm going to have a cardiac arrhythmia and I'm gonna drop dead um, because this happens to people like my dad who was perfectly healthy and he had a, you know, a freak thing happen. The obsessive mind wants me to not work out, just go months without working out because it, it doesn't want me to get my heart above a certain heart rate. So I don't provoke potentially, you know, uh, passing out, um, or passing away. The, what exposure therapy would say is like, basically talk back to the thought and expose yourself to your heart rate getting high, you being worried about uh, your heart giving out. And so like mm. that idea can basically be translated to any area of life. If if I truly have a scarcity mindset around money, not to the point where I'm, uh, I'm monetarily or fiscally responsible, but to the point where I'm actually, I hinder my ability to experience life because I can't spend, you know, a way to expose myself to that would be go buy myself like a gift. Like if I really haven't gotten myself something nice, go to a clothing store, go to Lululemon and get myself some like new pair of pants. Cause I'm wearing, you know, shit that I've had for the last 10 years or that a sponsor gave to us in 2018. So it's like small things like that. Actually, when I was running my last business, which as you know, can be very stressful at times, 
the one thing that reset me every week was I would go to the Russian bathhouse nearby and yep. do a hot cold exposure. Um, and I love that. that I, like, I feel like that's would, going through like a huge, like there's, there's just like this, it is so zeitgeisty right now for especially like cold plunges for people to do that early in the morning. And so what, uh, this is a little off topic, but like, I guess my question for you is, did it work? And what, what did it actually do for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm a little bit too much of a wimp to just do cold Alex. So I would do, uh, go into the hot sauna first and get excruciatingly hot. And then the cold afterwards doesn't feel nearly as bad. Right. And yep. so going back and forth, what it did for me was I, and it, it's, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in sun. And this is a very hot, I would say it's illegally hot. It's about 220 degrees Fahrenheit oh my God. sometimes. Um, so 10 to 15 minutes in there, like you're cooked. And then I go into the cold for, you know, maybe two or three minutes. And I do that uh, and cycle that four times. So four times, usually like the magic number, usually like two or th by the third one, you just feel in pure bliss in the cold, right? After the hot. And afterwards, I just feel like I am reborn and any major issue problem, like doesn't feel, it just feels like I'm able to be way more objective about it. That's and awesome. It just, and I get that too from a really, really hard workout, but it's, uh, it's a little bit different when, uh, when the body is exposed in that way. I think the body just thinks it's going to die. So <laughs> everything else just, uh, becomes easier. Yeah. You're basically getting, uh, yourself to a temperature where you're basically cooking yourself on a pan. Um, but no, I think even to the, I, I do want to try co like cold and, and hot therapy a little bit more, just honestly to see if, if I, um, had the same experience with it. I feel like it's been big ever since it was popularized, uh, through Wim Hof, um, especially in terms of like, uh, cold therapy, but just to your point of exercise like that exercise, I, I said that was like part of my, my vitamin, but it's also part of my painkillers or when I'm feeling especially anxious, just the, the release of what, what's the, what is the chemical? Is it dopamine? Is it, uh, it's, there's a release of some, or it's, um, there's certainly dopamine. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's a, a bunch of other things as well. It, it, yeah, it just releases something that, um, is, is proven to help with anxiety a lot. So anytime I'm feeling anxious, I'll go for a run outside. Mm. I love it. I love that. Um, well, Alex, I really, uh, appreciate your time today and your, uh, willingness to be authentic and, and transparent, uh, with all the things that you do. Um, is there any, uh, is there, so I just have about two or three questions left before we cool. wrap this up. Is there a, a book or a couple books that you would highly recommend that has really impacted your life so far? Yeah, I would say, so one is, um, when breath becomes air. Mm. Um, have you read that book? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, again, like if you want to just talk about perspective shaping books, to me, like when breath becomes air or man's search for meaning for meaning by Viktor Frankl, like those are two at the top of the list. Um, I'm literally just looking at my bookshelf as I'm talking to you. Um, I would say a book that I'm reading right now, uh, and, and this speaks to like a larger thing, which is when you want to build a habit in something, like build a habit with, by making the, the activity, uh, approachable and enjoyable. So if you want to build a habit around reading books, 
Don't force yourself to read like professional books. Read shit that you'll actually enjoy. For the longest time, I would only read business books because I felt like I had to be productive. But what that resulted in is I never built a habit around reading because I like didn't really love just reading business uh, right. books. So I've tried to mix it where now I read a fiction for every uh, nonfiction book I read. So I'm reading a um, a fiction uh, novel right now called uh, A Little Life. And it is incredible. And it's basically just the storytelling of five incredibly close friends who have, in some ways, relatively ordinary lives. But in other ways, their stories are so complex. And there's such amazing character development around each of these individuals, but also how their relationship changes over a 10-year period. So uh, I've really loved it because it just, I don't know, it's hit a part of my brain that when I'm reading... Gladwell or, you know, one of Walter Isaacson's biographies, those things are great, but it's like, those are not a page, those are not page turners for me. Those are not in my, mm -hmm. in my mind, growing me outside of the domain of work. Yeah. Another thing that I found too, is just like not requiring yourself to commit to any book, right? You can just treat any book like it's a blog post or, or a Twitter post. If you, um, can't commit the hours to sitting down and reading it, that's okay. Just start, listen to an audio version for five to 10 minutes. If you don't like it, great. You know, 10 bucks, you move on to another one and you just keep going until you find one that oh, yeah. you, you can't, you can't put down. Right. Well, well to that point. Yeah. It's like, again, I think there's pressure put on people to read books because it's like, it's always talked about how the most successful people of all time, what is one habit that they all share together? And it's like reading. First of all, like, I don't know that to be entirely true. It just feels like a very convenient thing. I'm sure a lot of them do read. I know Warren Buffett reads a lot. I know Bill Gates does, but like, I'm sure there are a lot of very successful, very fulfilled people who uh, don't read a hundred books a year. I also think it's about finding out, figuring out like what is the content that jives best with you? Like I love watching YouTube videos and there are YouTube channels that I watch that I'm just obsessed with their content. Or like I love um, personal blogs or like, essays by individuals. So like what I actually love discovering is new people, whether it's startup founders or just like super interesting professionals like doctors, et cetera, who have personal blogs. And I love reading their essays. And like, to me, actually it adds more compact value than a book because these essays take, you know, 10 to 30 minutes and not a hundred hours. Now there's also essays that are longer, like wait, but why is one of my favorite blogs of all time by Tim Urban. But it's yeah. like, yeah, like, I don't know. It, to me, the medium shouldn't matter. It, what more matters is, like, what are you trying to get out of the medium? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, articles from uh, Tim Urban is uh, The Tail End, right? Yep. And it reminds me of uh, what you said in the beginning of the podcast, which is, like, your purpose and, and what matters most to you. 100%. Um, off the top of your head, what are some of your most recent favorites, uh, YouTube channels and, and blogs? that you've been following for YouTube. One channel that I watch closely is it's called Sunday. So it's this guy, uh, Jesse, I think his, I can't remember his last name, but he was in this, uh, YouTube group called Nelk boys and he left Nelk to start his own, uh, marketing agency and design house. And mm. basically what he does is he videos everything that's happening behind the scenes in his business. And he creates a weekly vlog showing that. And wow. I, I, that's like where I want to get with my businesses is like almost like 
at any point in time, you get a daily to weekly update of what's happening behind the scenes of different businesses with different operators in different parts of their journey in different industries. And like, to me, that is the coolest way to teach business. So Sunday is, I would say like one of the only channels I see doing that. Um, I also like, I mean, this is such a classic one, but like, I love Casey Neistat. Like Mm. Casey is, is so good at storytelling things that like, to me, amazing storytelling is when someone can capture you around something that is, uh, like unspectacular. Basically it's like the, the storytelling is what captures people, not the actual subject of the storytelling. So it's like he, one of the, the stories that he told like was about his wife moving into a new workspace. Like it was just what was going on in his life, but he tells it in a way that you're like, for some reason you're retained to the end of the video. So I think he's just, he is like the best example of exceptional storytelling, no matter what the context for blogs. So there's this guy, Paras Chopra, who, um, he was a startup founder. How do you spell that? Paras? P-A-R-A-S. Gotcha. Chopra, C-H-O-P-R-A. And so he built this business, uh, Wingify. Um, and I think he's like been taking some time off and he just has amazing, amazing essays on everything from like mental models that you can use in life and in the world to also things that are completely, um, removed from business around like fulfillment, purpose, et cetera, consciousness. So yeah, that like, I love discovering a blog that no one's ever talked about and then just going down the rabbit hole of it. So it's called inverted passion is his blog, invertedpassion.com. Perfect. Yeah. I'll link that in the show notes as well for everyone. Sweet. Um, all right. So final question for you, Alex, you uh, mentioned the passing of your dad earlier. Um, it must've been, I mean, it sounds like it, it shaped your life, uh, quite a bit and it must've been a really tough time for you. And I'm sure there's been other tough times in your life as well. Um, building a business is never easy and, uh, you were very successful in building morning brew, but you went through some challenges along the way too. I'm sure that you've spoken about on your other podcasts and, and other content that you've published. Um, highly recommend people to, um, to check out your contents and your podcast. Can you actually, before I finish asking you this question here, um, can you actually tell people where they could potentially find you and find the other contents that you have? Yeah. So I would say I create most of my content, um, on Twitter under the handle business barista, TikTok, uh, under the handle business barista, and then on LinkedIn, just under my name. Um, and you know, my main podcast now is the crazy ones. So I co-host it with my friend and an amazing entrepreneur, Jesse Puji. And I'd say we both have similar kind of goals, which is to build many businesses in our lives but still at the end of the day, never concede on the things that are most important, like our family and the people close to us. So build mm-hmm. the infrastructure around ourselves that allows us to you know, have our cake and eat it too, of both building many businesses, but also um, having our cup full with the things that really matter. Um, and we, we both, I think, do the whole entrepreneurship thing for the love of the game of learning about businesses and teaching business and entrepreneurship to other people via the companies that we build. So yeah, I would check out the crazy ones if you are either an entrepreneur or have any interest in building businesses. Awesome. So to finish asking the last question, what is a piece of advice you would give yourself 
or someone in those tough spots that you you've been in that were pivotal moments in your life? The first thing is, and and I'm going to say two things and they sound maybe contradictory to each other, but they're not. The first is that nothing is ever as good or as bad as it may seem. Um, you know, some people look at my experience with losing my dad and I think feel bad for me. Like, you know, uh, you know, look at this guy when he was 19 years old, lost his best friend who is 48. Like, you know, that, that fucking sucks. Like you're never getting that time back. And yeah, it, it, it's the worst. Um, but I always view it as something can both be really unpleasant, but there's like kind of beauty that comes out of it, right? Like I feel incredible gratitude for all the lessons he taught me. I feel incredible gratitude that I had a great relationship with my dad for 19 years. I feel incredible gratitude that Morning Brew was largely started because of the new perspective that I was given um, after my dad passed. Um, I feel incredible gratitude for that perspective because I really think it's changed how I, I view my life. Um, so that's the first. The second is it is okay to, tr to like really feel your range of feelings. It, it is okay. And whatever your, you, whatever your emotional experience is, there's nothing right about it. There's nothing wrong about it. It is your experience and it is true to you. And the reason I say that is I think it's true for everyone. Um, but I, I think it's especially in some ways a gendered thing where men are taught in society to kind of form a shield around themselves and you have to be strong. Like you, you can't be emotive. And I think that's completely wrong. And I think society's starting to change its view in that way, but like we haven't fully gotten there yet, right? Like you hear rumblings of like vulnerability is sexy now, but I just think a lot of it is performative versus like truly being institutionalized. And I would just say, you know, for me, I think so much of the work that I want to do in my life moving forward is to have the ability to truly experience kind of the full rainbow of emotions that I can. Because I think for so long around the death of my dad, um, you know, throughout college in building Morning Brew, I forced myself to have a shield. I forced myself to be okay at all times, to have this emotional range that was like a negative two to a two. And so I don't want to feel the full range of emotions just for the sake of feeling negative 10 to 10, but because I think life can be a lot richer if I give myself the per permission to feel in my most authentic way, if that makes sense. That totally does. And I think you've demonstrated that actually in this uh, conversation and being vulnerable and, and sharing really think really everything that's been on your mind so really want to appreciate you for that and and honor you for that alex and thank you so much for your time today and sharing your thought process your knowledge your journey along the way and um you know people might uh, actually think at the end of this podcast hey you didn't even ask alex about morning brew well there's a million other pieces of content out there yeah. where you talk about morning brew and that's why i decided to you know after doing some research on my end um to focus on the the things that are uh that you haven't repeated a million times yet right so yeah. i love um, i love i love talking about new stuff and uh i'm excited for everyone to listen to this and um if you uh 
If you have any questions for me or any any thoughts on anything I said, you know where to find me, any of the social platforms. And I'm, uh, I'm excited for, uh, for many of you to uh, get the chance to take the plunge and uh, help us out on Kickstarter. Yeah, super excited for everyone to see the plunge as well. And thank you again so much for your time today, Alex. Appreciate you. you. Got it. Hey, hope you enjoyed that podcast. If you did, I think you'll really enjoy our other podcasts as well. You can find the other podcasts on Apple Podcasts or by visiting launchboom.com forward slash podcast. You can also sign up for a free newsletter. You can learn how to bring your product idea to life with crowdfunding in just five minutes a week. We send one no BS email every Tuesday. You can sign up at launchboom.com forward slash newsletter. Finally, please leave us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Every review makes a massive difference because it allows more people to benefit from the experiences of our incredible guests. Thank you so much for listening.